Well, good morning, church. It is always a blessing for us to be together. And I'm just so thankful uh, that on this particular morning, we're able to be together both as a Southern Hills Church family and also as a Bar Church family, which aren't really two families, but we do meet in other places on Sunday morning, so I'm just thrilled to have you with us uh, today. It's just, it's just a blessing. Before uh, we step into the sermon together, I do want to mention, as Dan talked about, uh, we are grieving with the Rideout family in the loss of Kent. Just want to let you know that today from 2 to 4, the visitation will take place at the Pearsall Family Funeral Home. And so if you can't be with us tomorrow here at 11 for the celebration of life, the memorial service that we'll have for Kent, want to let you know about that visitation. Because I know in moments like these, we're always trying to make sure that we are helping people whose hearts are breaking know that they're not alone and to be living reminders of our confidence that we will see Kent again. Uh, we want to be those kinds of people for one another. So I just want to encourage you, if, if there's any way at all that you can either stop by today or be a part of our time tomorrow, we want to invite you to do that. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you so much for a faith family like this one. As Joel said, it's not a perfect family because I'm in it. Because all of us have things in our lives that we struggle with, and yet you call us in your perfect love together. And it's not just the perfect love, it's a resurrection love And as we continue to hold close to our hearts the Rideout family and and the devastating, tragic loss that nobody could have been ready for, God. And yet, you have walked beside us each step of the way. And you hold us together. And one of the ways that you do that most visibly is when you allow us to be the way that broken hearts are held together. That you invite us into that ministry of presence and healing, patience and gentleness. And God, we don't have all the answers that we'd like, but we know that faith isn't really about getting all the answers that we want. It's about It's about a relationship with you and responding in moments like these. And so we pray that you would give us your wisdom and your insight and your goodness. God, heal us and use us to do it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as Stephen mentioned, we're concluding this sermon series where we've been focusing on the life of Joseph. And so just to to quickly remind all of us, or or if this is your first Sunday to be here uh, for this series, I just want to remind you that Joseph's story in the Bible starts when he's 17, and he starts to have these dreams about the future. 
and their, their dreams that involve him and his family. And he dreams that there's going to be a day that comes when everyone else in his family is going to bow down to him. And when his brothers find out that God has given Joseph this kind of, of dream for the future, they decide that they want to do everything they can to make sure that dream doesn't come true because they've been around him for 17 years and they don't like the thought of him having the power to do whatever he wants to them. So they, they take drastic steps to try to make these dreams not come true, not knowing that when God is the one making the promises about dreams, they are going to come true. You, you can sidetrack things, you can throw a couple of curveballs into the story, but you can't change where things are headed, not really. And you definitely can't change how things are going to turn out. And so they end up basically kidnapping Joseph and then selling him into slavery and they hope that they never see him again. And they, they tell their father, Jacob, that he's dead. And they're lying to him, but they hope that it's going to come true. right? That's what they want to see come true instead of these dreams. But God is in the midst of this story. And while God is not the one who is causing Joseph to be sold into slavery, he's with Joseph in slavery. And he finds a way to work through Joseph's life so that he experiences this bittersweet mix that so many of us in our lives have experienced where we, we have to go through difficult things, we have to face things that bring us sadness and sorrow, but God is with us and so God makes sure that the worst things that happen to us don't get to define us. They don't get to determine who we're gonna be. And so God is with Joseph in slavery, and he brings him success. He opens up opportunities, and yet those get snatched away from him too because people who are threatened by him work against him, and there's false accusations, so then he's not just in slavery, but he gets thrown into prison. And then he gets an opportunity. God opens up a door for him to interpret dreams for other prisoners who are close to Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. And he tells one of those those prisoners, you're going to be restored to your place. He's talking to the chief wine steward. He says, you're going, to, you're going to be restored, and when you get there, remember me. Put in a good word to Pharaoh for me so that I can be released from this prison. And for two more years, Joseph waits because the chief wine steward forgets him. And there had to have been a part of Joseph that felt like maybe God had forgotten him. But that's not true. They feel like the truth, but it isn't. And finally, that chief wine steward remembers one day when Pharaoh has dreams that he can't interpret. Hey, I knew a guy back in prison, which, you know, normally that's a complicated beginning to a story. <laughs> but it turns out well for everyone. Joseph's able to interpret Pharaoh's dreams, and he talks about these seven years that are coming of, of super abundance where they can save and set aside for seven following years of drought and famine. And it's not just going to be a hard seven years for Egypt, it's going to be a, a hard seven years for everyone. And so Pharaoh clears the way, he, he gets rid of any of the 
the red tape that might slow Joseph down. And he says, I, I'm giving you all the power in Egypt except for my throne to make sure that we're ready for this. And so Joseph does. And wouldn't you know it, but because the famine was everywhere, his brothers end up having to come to Egypt to buy food because it's the only place that has food to be sold. And they come to Joseph and they don't recognize him. But he recognizes them because he's wanted to forget what they did to him. He's, he's wanted to forget how they treated him, but he, he couldn't forget. And all of us have had things in our lives we wish we could forget. That maybe we feel like we'd give just about anything to not ever think about again. But Joseph sees his brothers and it all comes back, all the pain. And it's overwhelming. And he knows. He knows how he wants the story to go. He's been shaped enough in the intervening 22 years. He was 17 when the story starts. He's 39 years old when he gets to see his brothers again. And all that pain comes rushing back. But he's not the same man he was 17 as a 17-year-old teenager. He's not. And now his dream it's coming true. And here's what's amazing. God has used those 22 years of waiting to shape him into someone who's going to do something that nobody would have guessed. Because when Joseph dreams of having the power to do whatever he wants to his family finally come true, all he wants to do with all that power is show them unexpected grace. Now, it's not easy. It's not magic. I think he knows the second he sees them that this is what he wants to do, but he's not ready to do it. And so there's all of these moments where he gets close and he's taking care of them. He gives them food and he gives them back their money and he sends them back home. And then he finds a way to, you know, to get them to come back. And then he, he uses silver and the silver cup to, to trick Benjamin, all this stuff. And, and it's easy to think that Joseph's just playing around with them, but I don't think that's it at all. I think he's just trying to buy himself time to do the thing he knows he wants to do, but he's just not ready to do it yet. And again, all of us in our relationships, especially in our families, we talked about this last week, there's no pain like family pain. There's no hurt like family hurt. But God is stronger still. God's grace is stronger still. Joseph wants to show that grace. And so finally, after stalling and all this back and forth between Egypt and Canaan, and he throws the, the brothers in jail for three days just so they'll get a taste of what it was like, he's finally ready. But man, it's hard. We, we talked last week over and over. He has, to, he has to stop because he's overcome with emotion and he's weeping. And we talked about the fact that with grace, it means that something inside of us has to die. And it's excruciating. That sense that we deserve to get even, that we need to pay back wrong for wrong and wound for wound. We have to, we have to let that part of ourselves die if we're going to be people of grace. Joseph finds a way to do it. Now, here's what's amazing about that. We, we, we talked about this a little bit last week, too. In all of our relationships, especially in our family relationships where there's woundedness, 
There is no way for me to stand up here on this stage and tell you exactly what shape grace needs to take in your, your woundedness and your brokenness in your family. It takes wisdom from God. It takes wisdom from other people in your life who know you and know the situation to say, this is the kind of future you can have with that person because of grace. And it is not a future where we've all forgotten that we've wounded each other. Be nice. But see, forgiveness isn't actually ever forgetting. It's choosing to remember the pain and deciding there could be a future beyond that pain anyway. And that future is going to have rules to it. It's going to have boundaries in it. It's, it's going to have expectations to it. And it's going to take work. But it is possible. See, grace alone can make a new kind of future possible when no future seems possible. Now, here's where we're going to pick up the story this morning. Joseph finds a way to speak words of forgiveness and mercy and grace to his brothers. And then he asks them to go back and get his father, to, to get the rest of the family and bring them to Egypt so that he can take care of them. He can provide for them. And then for 17 years, they share life together. And it doesn't make up for the 22 lost years that I'm sure Joseph would have loved to be able to experience with them, but that, that 17-year season is a gift from God's hand. And it's, it's 17 years that are only made possible because Joseph, when he has all the power to do whatever he wants, he uses that power to draw them in. And to share life with them. To show them grace. But then their father, Jacob, dies. And I want us to read together how the brothers respond in that moment. Genesis 50, starting in verse 15. When Joseph's brothers realized that their father was now dead, they said... What if Joseph bears a grudge against us and wants to pay us back seriously for all the terrible things we did to him? So they approached Joseph and they said, your father gave orders before he died telling us, now before I keep going, there's no record in the Bible that Jacob ever said this to them. He could have. There's just no evidence that he did. Your father gave orders before he died telling us, this is what you should say to Joseph. Please forgive your brother's sins and misdeeds, for they did terrible things to you. Now, please forgive the sins of the servants of your father's God. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. We're here as your slaves. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I God? You planned something bad for me, but God produced something good from it. I want to read that again. You planned something bad for me, but God produced something good from it. 
in order to save the lives of many people, just as he's doing today. Now, don't be afraid. I will take care of you and your children. So he put them at ease and spoke reassuringly to them. For 17 years, they have literally been living on Joseph's good graces. And when their father dies, they think it's been a long con to take them out once Jacob is out of the picture. Can you imagine how that made Joseph feel? For 17 years, he's been getting up every day, choosing to show grace to his brothers, to be good to them, to take care of them, to watch over their children, to take care of their needs. And they say, we're pretty sure you were faking it. There's no pain like family pain. There's no hurt like family hurt. And there's times that we break one another's hearts by not believing in the goodness that God has placed in each one of us. By saying, I know what you used to be like. I know what you've done. I remember what you did back when you were 15 and 16 and 17, and I'm not buying this forgiveness thing. I'm not buying this new start thing. Other times, it's not so much that we don't see goodness in one another, it's that we assume that someone else in our family is as petty as we are. Did I say that out loud? I'm sorry. <laughs> so if I haven't forgiven them, I don't trust that they've forgiven me. God's grace to Joseph, and he makes this clear in his response to them, right? His grace to Joseph looks like God rescuing Joseph from the bad things other people did to him. He says, you planned something bad for me. And they did. There's no denying it. But this story isn't just about God's grace to Joseph. It's also about God's grace through Joseph. And God's grace through Joseph looks like God helping Joseph be good to the people who hurt him most. Now here, here's what's really sad about this moment in the story to me. It's not just the anger, the frustration, the hurt that their lack of trust and belief in Joseph had to bring to the surface. Don't you think he had to feel like, after all I've done, here we go again? Come to think of it, I am going to kill you. Here's what's really sad to me, is that as amazing as God's grace is, there are limits to it because God never forces grace on us. And so grace only works if we let it work. If we don't trust it, it cannot heal us. These brothers, for 17 years, were living in grace and didn't know it because they didn't trust it. Think about how edgy they were anytime Jacob went out of town. And they thought he may not be coming back. And if he doesn't come back, then Joseph, what's Joseph going to do? Year, 17 years of not believing that Joseph really could show the grace that he, that he was clearly wanting to offer them. They were holding that grace at arm's length while they were taking advantage of Joseph. 
That's what's so hard about us showing grace in our families is if it's grace, people can take advantage of it. But they can also not even recognize that that's what's, that's what's making your relationship to them still possible. They either take it for granted or they don't believe that it's real. If that's true between Joseph and his brothers, that has to be true between me and my brother and my sisters that I grew up with. It has to be true between me and all of my brothers and sisters in this church, right? If we're ever going to have a hope of really trusting in God's grace, we have to embody it to one another. And when somebody says, I'm trying to show you grace, we need to give them the benefit of the doubt that they are. And I am convinced that if we will open ourselves up to trusting that when someone else is doing the hard work of trying to be good to us, even though we've hurt them, that the grace that God is working through us together is changing both of us for the better. Grace only works when it's give and take. And in the end, this is what it means. I mean, grace means a lot of things. Right? Grace means so many things that we couldn't possibly talk about it all in one Sunday. But this is the aspect of grace that I really want us to focus on this morning. Grace means never having to hold a grudge again. It takes effort and energy to bear a grudge. We're not called to bear a grudge. We're called to bear a cross. And it is easier to bear a cross than to bear a grudge. I know it doesn't always seem that way, but see, a cross, that's where you give your life and God gives you true life in return. When you bear a grudge, that's a death sentence that you, you asked for. That you're begging for. That you're nursing your hurt feelings and the bad things that have happened. And look, again, grace doesn't mean that the bad things never happened. It means that God has something better in store for us even now. Amen. Nursing a grudge can feel like you're superior to the person who messed up and hurt you. Nursing a grudge can make you feel justified even when you're not actually becoming more and more like Christ. Nursing a grudge can actually give you a sense of righteous indignation that feels like power when it's taking the power of your life away from you. I don't know how Joseph does it. I just know that he does. And just because I don't know how Joseph does it, like the exact things he did to continue to show grace to his brothers, I know the power that allowed him to do it. And it is the very same power that you and I claim to give our lives to and believe in. It is the power of God who raises dead people back to life and resurrects relationships that don't make sense and helps us together work towards a future that are beyond our mistakes. 
a, a kind of future that's beyond any of our regrets. It's not a magic switch that we throw. It's a direction of life that we lean into or we run away from. And I don't know about you, but I've got to find a way. I am carrying far more grudges than any person of grace should be willing to carry. There are grudges that are being carried in this room right now. And I'm begging you, brothers and sisters, can we put those grudges down? Can we lay them at at the feet of Jesus and say, I'm ready for the cross that you're asking me to bear? That's true life. That's real life. And it's what we're longing for, even if we don't know it. We're going to sing together now, and as we do, I hope that you think about maybe someone in your life that you're bearing a grudge against. And open your heart up to ask God to give you the wisdom of what shape that grace needs to take. Or maybe you know that someone's bearing a grudge against you. Is there a way for you to treat them with the goodness of God so that they start to trust that there really could be a future in your relationship? We're on different sides of grudge holding. Grace can heal it all. Let's stand together and sing.